The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Awaken to the divine within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Thank you for tuning in today. I think you're really going to enjoy the information on this show. It's so powerful, and I'm very excited to share this with you. What would you think if I said the medicine you've been searching for is available to you right now and lives within you? You'd probably say, well, what is it? Tell me. Well, I have some exciting things to share with you today. If you're interested in exploring an ancient and effective way to unlock your own healing power, stay with me for the next hour. My guest today is Asha Frost, and she is an indigenous medicine woman and a member of the Chippewa of Nawash First Nation. And I'm going to check and make sure I said that correctly. As an energy healer, homeopath, and mentor, Asha has guided thousands of people through profound and lasting transformation with her ceremonies, her teachings, and speaking events. I've been reading her incredible book. It's called You Are the Medicine, 13 Moons of Indigenous Wisdom, Ancestral Connection, and Animal Spirit Guidance. So I'm excited to talk about this today. Welcome, Asha, to the show. I'm really glad you could spend some time. Thank you so much for having me. And did I did I say that correctly? What is it Chippewas of Nawash? It's close. It's Nawash. Nawash. Okay. Thank you. I want to I want to say it correctly. So I wanted to, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about all this information. There's so much to cover. You know, I've noticed in recent years that there's really been an increased interest in people wanting to explore these ancient teachings that you write about, these healing methods. Uh, doctors and scientists are taking another look at plant medicines like ayahuasca and their effectiveness in treating things like PTSD and depression. So people are are taking this seriously. It's not just woo-woo stuff. And what you're sharing in your book is so valuable. And in the very beginning, you say that you want us to activate our knowing and remember this information. This is, is stuff that uh, from from thousands of years ago that is kind of embedded in us. We carry this in our cells. And I don't think people really understand what that means. Can you share what, what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think from an Indigenous understanding and perspective, 
um, we know that, you know, we are connected to our ancestral ways and the ways of the land and the earth. It does, we are land, we are earth. Um, and we understand that sort of um, creation and our connection to creation. And the, the truth is we're all connected in that way. And we all have ancestors and we all have um, a connection to the earth. That's how our ancestors had to live because that's just, that's just the way it was. So my, um, when I ask and invite people to connect to their inner knowing or the remembering, I believe we all carry that in our DNA, in our blood, in our waters, in our bones. Um, there is this remembering that sometimes can come in different forms of wisdom. So ways of knowing and being like dream time and visioning and um, journeying and just even listening or talking to the trees or the plants. You know, when you meet somebody and it feels synchronistic, like I've known this person before, or I've, I've known this wisdom that they're sharing. I have tears that well in my eyes and my heart feels warm. I think that's a way of, of, of that remembering happening for us. And I think it happens more than we think, but it's not valued in our society. So I'm here to put that at the forefront and say, this matters too. You're here to remind us. It's so important. In the, in the very beginning, there's a letter that you share in the book and you talk about your struggles and what it's like to carry the pain of your ancestors and the pain of the past. And this letter you posted to your social media went viral called Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me. And it was a pretty eye-opening read. I had never seen it before. I hadn't heard about this. And working in this space, like I have for over a decade, quite a while, you know, I've seen a lot of people who call themselves healers. They put on turbans and they say they're experts and co-opting things. And I, I guess I, until I read that letter, I didn't really realize how painful that that really is. You know, people taking from, from the culture. And can you share what prompted you to write this letter? Because it, it's very powerful. Yeah, I um, I think those words were in my bones as I talk about that remembering for a long time. And really, it was a really like embodied experience. I would see these things happening in my local community that would make me shake. And I'd feel um, sort of like this inner vibration inside of me that wanted to come out. And then I'd see it. It was really like Instagram got really popular at the time and people were waving their sage wands around in ads or they were wearing headdresses, you know, like nude, like pictures like that, just things that were highly disrespectful to our culture. And I was like, why does this, why does this bother me so much? Like I really had to reflect on that because I'm the type that likes to take it into my healing process first before I speak anything. One of my friends said to me, you call me a lot and you're crying and you're shaking. What do those, what does that shaking want from you? What, how do you want to express this? Maybe you should write a letter. And it just came flowing out. It was really easy to write because it was there. Um, and what I really saw was it was like, if you want to take the beautiful things, if you want to take the earrings and the headdresses and the dream catchers, can you hold space for the humanity and the people and what people are still experiencing on Turtle Island right now? That's where I live. Can you see, can you see what's happening to Indigenous people, things that are still happening here? Or you do you just want to take the things that you feel um, you're entitled to take without knowing the history? So that's how it came about. And it was just an invitation and question. Can you? Um, you know, I, I'm not the smudge police or the dream catcher police or any of those things, but it's an invitation to come so we can we can come together and truly see each other. Um, and of course, it doesn't wasn't received in that way by everybody, but that's what it, the intention was. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you got some pushback on that. I mean, when I read that, 
you know, I, I really had to look within myself as well. And there's a prompt well, you, you feature prompts throughout the book, which are great. And I've spent a lot of time with those prompts, you know, really thinking about things. And, and there's a prompt after the letter that asks the reader what they're feeling. And I really had to, I, I really sat with that for a minute and I felt guilt. You know, I felt sadness, just profound sadness, because I've been guilty of that myself, you know, of burning sage. And I, I guess it's like putting the power in the hands of someone that has no idea what they're doing with it, because I would feel that there is power here because you can feel something happening when you, when you sage something or you have that intention, but not really knowing what you're doing, you know, so I've, I've definitely been, I've been guilty of, of that myself. And also with the debate on football teams and, you know, the Redskins and things like that. And people would just dismiss that as not being painful to a whole group of people. And it really is. So I think it's important that we think about these things, you know, and treat it with a little more respect. So that's what, what came up for me, you know, when I read that. So it's important. And I'm sure you, you, you got pushback. I mean, you probably got some hate on social media and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was asked to invited to a lot of podcasts and speaking engagements after that to sort of explain a little bit more. And that was interesting for me because I feel like the antidote to that Maybe that hate and that shame and that guilt is to start with compassion for ourselves, like to sink and say, sink into our hearts and say, I didn't know this. Like we're all learning and evolving. Can we just kind of lean back a bit and listen? It's always about like the listening first, feeling in, okay, let me have compassion while I listen for myself for not knowing. And I think if we started there, things might be a little bit different instead of that defensive, I got to fight back, you know, just sit back and listen, have compassion that you didn't know. Now that you know, what are you going to do different? Because I think there's so much, we need so much space for nuance and repair and opportunity to make, make amends and to have that repair as a possibility. That's my one Indigenous voice saying that, but I do believe in that. Right. I mean, I hope that that's that that's possible because there's so much repair and forgiveness and, and redemption. I mean, I don't know how we can ever overcome everything that's happened in the past, but I guess by listening and trying to understand is the first step towards doing that. Uh, so many powerful things, you know, came up for me in reading the book. And one of the things that resonated with me included a connection to the moon and I was born under the cancer sign. So I've always felt that connection with the moon, you know, feeling the moon tides really strongly. Like whenever there's a full moon, I'm always fascinated. And I just go outside and look. And actually the first time I saw a full moon in a friend's telescope, I was just in such awe, you know, because it seems so close when you're looking at it through a telescope and it's just so, so beautiful. And in the book, you have it divided up into 13 lunar cycles and I just was hoping you could talk a little bit about the significance of that and the power of it, because I certainly feel the power of the moon. And I think maybe people just discount that as, as not being a real thing. Yeah, well, I think we forget that we're cyclical beings like our, our sort of um, patriarchal capitalistic society asks us to be um, on all the time, right? Just like be on, keep going, push harder. And the moon reminds us, no, you're a cyclical being too. The waters in you rise and fall. Your moods do, your energy levels do. Um, and we can then bypass that, I think, a lot in our current world. 
So the moon reminds me of that and also pulls on my inner waters all the time. And I think, you know, when we lived outside, when we were connected to those cycles, um, our bodies were regulated by that. And we've kind of lost that too with modern technology. But the moon has always spoken to me. And I, I share in the book, you know, I would be so in awe of like the harvest moon or when it would turn pink or like just all of these beautiful moon energies. And what I came to know and learn of our tradition is that we named the moons based on what was going on in the landscape in that time. And I share that in the book, they may not speak to where you're living right now because it's based on my ancestral lands, but I do hope the medicine speaks to you because I think that each moon carries that that invitation or that healing power um, to help you feel into your cyclical nature and to help you, you know, every full moon we're releasing. Every new moon is a chance to plant new seeds. So how can we use a moon cycle even as like a cleansing and a purification and then a remembering and like a um, intention setting or creation um, way? I think that's really a beautiful way to live in the world. It is. And we have lost touch with that you know, tapping into that energy, like you were saying, with the waxing and the, the waning of the moon, just being more aware that it's there. And that that really spoke to me. Uh, and it's funny, because you talked about having pictures and things. And I have a lot of different pictures of the moon, <laughs> like around my house, and I've always felt a connection with it. and it's something that I think I need to learn a little bit more about and, and tap into that, because it is it is really powerful. And maybe being also in the modern world, we're so far away from even seeing the moon. A lot of the times there's so many lights around. If we're in a city, I'm in a pretty, you know, urban area here in San Diego. And sometimes you, you don't even see it, but you know, it's there, right? <laughs> you feel it. And also something you bring up the animal world is a big part of the book. And you talk about, you know, people haven't taken this seriously, you know, they've made a joke about, you know, this is my spirit animal and things like that. We certainly don't treat the animal world as sacred at all. And I think this is at our own peril, right? If, if we're not paying attention to what's going on in the animal world, I'm sure you read, there was a study recently that came out from the WWF of how many species are actually becoming extinct. And the real issue of climate change that we're ignoring and how it's affecting the animal world. How can we pay a, a little bit more attention to this? You know, how, how important is this to you? I think it's everything. Um, and I think it means it's so interesting as I speak to people, you know, I think we can forget that our connectedness to all of creation. I think that it's been, um, imprinted on us too, that somehow we own land, we are above animals, we are above the plants and the stones and the water, and we're entitled to take from them. And I think that that's done, it's so harmful. So I wonder how we can sink into just that, like, again, leaning back, oh my goodness, these beings are as precious as us, and we are not better than them, right? Like we are equal and they are our kin. We, we understand as Indigenous people, the stones are a living consciousness and they are our kin and we treat them with reverence and respect. So even just simply that, and I think children get that. Children see a bug and they, you know, they have wonder about that. Children, they just have that care and reverence, I think. We did too. So I wonder how we can, how we can come back to that knowing of you know, we're almost sitting in circle with all of creation and none of us are better than. And I think that um, entitlement to like, I, I deserve that, to take that. 
um, that messaging has always been very harmful for the earth. Right. No, absolutely. And you mentioned the circle and the circle is very important in ceremony, isn't it? Yes, it is. Circle medicine is one of my favorite ways to share ceremony. Um, you know, when I first sort of came into circle, I felt like I was in, I was at home. I just thought this is like, and one of my, I remember one of my um, clients said to me, I wish we could just live in circles all day, like just kind of hanging out in little pods, you know, in circle pods. And I thought that's such a beautiful vision. How, how would things change if we sat with each other in circle where we are all heart to heart, um, spirit to spirit, nobody's better than one another. There's no leader, you know, we're just kind of all sharing in medicine together. We also look at the circle, circle of life and the moon and the stars and the sun. And there's so many aspects of creation that remind us of the cyclical circle energy. So for me, that medicine uh, brings harmony to humanity. And I think that if we did sit in circle, things would change. It would, it would be a good start. And it's so, even if you look back in old stories, you know, like uh, the Knights of the Round Table and King mm -hmm. Arthur and the re reason he had a round table was that no king would sit above another. And we, we seem to like to have a hierarchy in things like someone has to be in charge. And I, I guess someone does have to be in charge, but maybe if it was more circular, people would have more, more say, right? They would feel more compelled to share their ideas with one not being above the other. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, just talking a little bit about the moon and not being able to see the moon, something you write about in the book, you know, another way to connect to ancient medicine is to disconnect, right, from our modern day technology. And we're so surrounded by it. We've, we've forgotten how to listen to the earth. I mean, what are ways that you do this? Like, how do you balance that between like having to deal with technology like we are now? Yeah, that's like a really big one for me. Um, I consider myself pretty highly sensitive, so I feel like I'm picking up on a lot of that stuff. I need to, I always need to take a salt bath. Even, I mean, the salt is magnesium from the earth or a salt from the earth. So I feel like bathing in earth medicine is important to me. Um, connecting to plant medicines, you know, I take a lot of plant medicines and even that in itself, that intentional action helps to bring earth into me. Um, I try to get outside as much as possible in the forests and just take time and space um, away from that technology. But, you know, I'm not perfect either. I think that it's interesting how we've been, um, especially during the pandemic, like being called to use these technologies more than ever before has probably caused a lot of dysregulation um, and a lot of nervous system overwhelm and overload. So I do a lot of energy practices to shake that out of my system too mostly because I'm highly sensitive to it and I need to make sure that I'm clear in my own channel, but um, being outside is probably the number one way. Do you set a timer or something? I've had to do that actually myself. <laughs> and no, my doctor's orders, she said, look, you can't be sitting in front of the computer every 90 minutes, you know, you have to get up. And I think it's, if we don't pay attention to that, it's definitely at our own peril. I mean, I can feel my body becoming like banana shaped because I'm kind of curved into the computer yeah. and this is not good. Humans aren't meant to be like this. No. And I think that just speaks to, of course, like our disconnect, even from our bodies, like, just like you said, I'm like a banana. Right. So I wonder like when that, when that noticing comes into our being that we kind of push away because like, I got to get this done or there's this like, you know, our schedule is more important than our bodies. So how can we connect to the earth of our bodies and see what, what's it telling me today? Like take even five minutes to ask 
what are the sensations? What am I experiencing? How does that feel for me to be in relationship to that person, this community, um, social media, all the things just taking, uh, that's why I have reflection in my book. Cause I, I love, I love to sit in reflection. So I love to ask questions. Just, um, it brings a lot of awareness. It does. And I, I like that the way you set up the book in that way, that after every chapter, there is a reflection and, and these are really, uh, they're interesting things to ponder and think about after you, you take in what you're reading and then you, you ask, how does that feel? And I realized as I was reading the book that so often I don't ask myself that, how, how do I feel about this? And so I think it's, it's important that you're reminding us to do that. Yeah. So. There's not, there's not a lot of space for that. I don't think in our current society, like even to ask, like we ask, how are you? But what if, what if we ask like, how's your heart today? Um, how's your spirit feeling? Like, I think just changing it up a little bit, because then it stops you. Oh, my heart, right. You know, and it just, it just brings you into a different awareness, I think. And we're not just doing that mechanical, same thing every single day. Yes, that's true. And how often do we say, if you say, you know, how are you? Many times you're not going to tell the truth, right? So <laughs> you have to push that down because in a business meeting, you're not going to say, well, if you really want to know, you know, this is how I'm feeling today. So I think there, there definitely has to be um, some kind of balance. You have so many um, beautiful practices in the book and, and a lot of visualization. And I, I think that's really powerful. And I have a notebook that, you know, I've, I try to write things in. I'm not really a great journaler, but I, I try to, I try to put things down and I think actually writing it is, is a powerful way, not typing, you know, you got to put the pen to the paper and, and do that. Um, and when you're talking about visualizations, you share a vision for the kind of healing practice that you wanted about learning to turn your envy of others into a mirror for your own future mm -hmm. and visualizing that. And you talked about how you visualized your healing practice. And I, I thought that, I mean, I'd like to delve into that a little bit because I think we're so afraid to really imagine what we really want. Like we really, do we deserve this? And we get defeated when we see the false world of social media and so many people with a million followers and, and we feel that it's not even attainable. And, and what do you do to help that come to, to life? Do you do journaling and writing and things like that? I, I'm going to be honest too. I'm not a really good journaler at all. Um, mostly because I, um, at some point I I've shared in the book, you know, I have lupus and my hands, my hands had a really bad arthritic flare. So it's actually hard for me to write now. Um, so I don't journal, but I do reflect a lot. And again, I'll do a lot of nervous system practices. And I think the first thing to do is to admit that we feel jealous or we feel envious. I think there's so much shame wrapped in that and we bypass that and we squish it down and we think I'm feeling that I'm feeling that oh, I'm, you know, I'm such a bad person or whatever that is. So I think bringing awareness to like, this happens to everyone and it's not our faults because now it's amplified by social media. Like now we have these glimpses and small glimpses into people's lives. We do not know the fullness. And I know that because I've sat with thousands of people hearing their fullness of their lives. So I can actually say like what you're seeing on social media is not the whole picture. Um, and I think that's just, just being really compassionate with ourselves. It's okay if you feel jealousy or envy. Um, but what I will do is so say I'm social media and I see one of those 70,000 or 80,000 followers. And I think, oh my goodness, why can't I be there? I feel it in my body. Usually it'll be like, oh my gosh, I feel it in my solar plexus. I feel like an anxiety. Okay. I feel it there. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to take some breaths there and then I'm going to shake it out. 
And I'll do that in the moment. It takes me two minutes. And after that, for some reason, it's lifted and it's shifted. Um, and it might take me three times to do that before I can now look at it and be like, just a little pang. You know, it just doesn't sit in the same way. So we have to disrupt, disrupt whatever's going on. And that can be awareness, speaking it out loud, shaking, doing something with it. But I think that, um, I just think that the majority of the time we bypass it. And then it builds up and then it's taking us over and then it becomes part of our thinking. I'm not good enough. Why can't I do it? I'm a failure. All of those things. Whereas if you shook it out, like, you know, a year ago, you might have, it just might be more, more flowing. And I, I love what you're saying about that because we are all human and we're going to feel those things. Right. And I, I was even feeling it this morning when I was looking at something on social media and I just, you know, I, I was triggered by it and like, Oh, you know, look at all their followers and, you know, different projects I'm trying to do. It's, it's not, it's not going to be obtainable and yet trying to, you know, recognize it and then separate yourself from that and not beat yourself up over it. So I tried to let that go, but since I was reading this book, it was helpful. (laughs) So I was trying to, you know, pull away from that, but we're so surrounded by it. And I feel bad for, for kids, like growing up, you know, as a teenager, younger, you know, we didn't have to deal with that at all. I mean, we had things called slam books. I don't know if you ever saw those as a kid in school where they would write things down, but now it's like all over the internet. I mean, do you talk to your kids about that to how, how they can manage it? It's going to be starting. My littlest is four, so he's not on social media. And then my eldest is nine, so but he's not allowed to have a phone yet. So right now, I'm, my, my strategy is to keep them away from social media for now. But it's going to come to the time where they're going to be on there. I think because I'm on there so much, I might be a little more strict about the boundaries because I know what happens on there. And um, yes, there'll be lots of conversations about that, and especially for bullying, because I think that is like one of the biggest dangers to our children right now. Um, so it does worry me as a mother. And I think that the boundaries are going to be fairly strict around that um, because I, I just don't see another way um, to keep their hearts and their spirits like protected as much as possible. I know we can't do that perfectly, but right. that's my question right now. And I'm sure that has, so has your nine-year-old asked yet for an iPhone? Oh yes. He wants one. Of <laughs> course. The answer is no. I'm very firm about like, um, I just, yeah, those, that's one thing, you know, the sleep can be, can go and different foods can be okay. But like this, the social media, I think that might be one of the benefits of being on there so much as I can, I know the ins and outs of that. And I just don't see how it's actually healthy for adults either to be on there all the time. So we need breaks and we need to know it's kind of an illusionary world. It's kind of a virtual reality. So if we can see it through those eyes or that lens, Sometimes it makes it easier for me. I'll actually see it like a matrix, like, you know, the matrix movie and be like, yeah. this is a virtual reality. This isn't real. Like this is all based on like conditional worth. How can I step back into my unconditional worth? Like that, that I'm always, I'm always worthy of love, no matter what's happening there. Right. Right. To remind yourself that that's an illusion. It's so important. And I, I think about that myself and with why we get so caught up with having, you know, X amount of followers and thousands of followers. And I've recently started a, a new business and, you know, I've only got like maybe 150 followers, you know, which is nothing. But then I remind myself, you know, I'd rather have 150 people that might be interested in whatever I, is, is going on than thousands of fake people or bots, which is an illusion. And, and you know, a lot of that's going on. So yeah, just to try to, to separate that is, is always a challenge. 
We're going to take a a short break here and come back and and chat a little bit more. So much more to cover. I'm talking with Asha Frost about her amazing book, You Are the Medicine. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back. I'm talking to Asha Frost about her incredible book, You Are the Medicine, 13 Moons of Indigenous Wisdom, Ancestral Connection, and animal spirit guidance. And Asha is an indigenous medicine woman, and she's also an energy healer, homeopath, and mentor. And she has a lot to teach us. We've been just kind of scratching the surface here of her book. Um, I love what you're talking about in, in the book about authentic presence and what's real and, and what's illusionary. And we chatted a little bit about that in the previous segment. And there was a question that you asked in the book, one of the prompts. Have you ever tried to be something you are not? Mm-hmm. And I've certainly felt that way. And I, it made me think of back when I was just, I was just getting into radio and I worked in rock radio. I was a DJ before I started talking to incredible people like you. And it was at the time when there was all these flame throwing big DJs and the women had to be like, project this sexy thing. And I tried to do that. It was, it was such a disaster. And I was at a rock station and I was trying to come off sounding you know, something that I wasn't. And I, and I realized that this is just wrong. And, and I started talking how I normally would and everything just flowed so much better. So it's funny when we try to try on these other hats and they just don't fit, you know, yeah. being your authentic self yeah. is so much, so much better. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that helps us discover who we are and come closer to who we are as well. So there's no shame in that. I love that story because I think we all do that in our, in our unfolding of coming home to who we are, I think. And when it feels like home and it feels natural, I think that there's like a lot of, there's a lot of safety in that. There's a lot of peace in that, but it could be a lifelong journey, I think, because the outside world's always saying, this is better. This is better. This is better. And we have to be like, right. We know our home. So I think that that's like a huge lesson. Yes. Coming back to our authentic self and, and the dangers of what happens if we're not in alignment with our truth, Mm -hmm. it's very important. You also delve into a lot of ancestry and family of origin 
things in history. And, and this is something I really, I really love. I have such a passion for this. Like I love the show, Finding Your Roots on PBS. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You know, I did my ancestry on 23andMe and it was kind of surprising because I had identified as one thing and found out I was more of something else. So that, that was really interesting. Um, in, in the book, you write about carrying the pain and trauma from past generations. And, and this really affected me. I mean, there's such a painful chapter in our history that many people might not be aware of. And that's the abuse and trauma that existed in the residential school system for native Americans here in America. And also uh, where you are in Canada in the mid 17th, uh, early 20th centuries, I had heard a, a little bit of, about this and I hadn't really understood, you know, what actually happened. And it, it's just so heartbreaking. The more I read about this, the more horrified and, and sad I become. Can you talk a little bit about, about what that is? Because I think a lot of people don't even know about this horrible chapter in history. Yes. And it's a fairly recent chapter, like the last school, I think, closed down here in 2006. So it wasn't that long ago. Wow. Um, and that's when people say get over it, you know, I think that that's what's really hard to, to take in because the ripple effects of that trauma and that attempted genocide of a people, it was like the president or the prime minister said, um, we want to strip the Indian out of the child. That was, that was the prime minister's statement in Canada, at least. So how do you strip the Indian out of the child? These are the first people here. Well, you take all love away from them. And you think about if you have your own ch children, how much love they need to thrive. So they were sent to schools and their hair was immediately cut. And our, our hair is our connection to spirit. Like it's, we, we really, even that is devastating to just chop your hair off, you know, and um, it was rubbed with light shampoo and you, you were put in the same clothing and you were starved. And horrific things happened. Babies were burned in incinerators and there was um, folk like rapes and um, just awful, awful things happening to these children. And more recently, for some reason, they've decided to um, search these residential school lands for bodies. And that was sort of the more like, I've been talking about this for many years on social media, nobody cared. As soon as like they're getting on earth, it was like, oh, all these children, everybody's horrified. And um, I get it, right? But like indigenous people have been like, we are talking about this for all these years. Nobody's been listening to us. So that was sort of like the re kind of like, oh my goodness, this this horror has happened in our country. And it's, in, it's different in the States because Canada, we say we're, oh, we're such this nice, kind, polite country. We're a racist country. Like that is the truth, especially for indigenous people. We're a racist country. So um, I think that it just kind of came into the landscape to understand these residential schools were to strip the Indian out of the child, to strip the Indigenous out of the child. Uh, my grandfather was beaten for speaking his language. He only spoke Ojibwe. Imagine like a four or five year old only understanding the world through their language and then they're not allowed to speak it anymore. Our medicines were stripped away from us. Um, made illegal. We couldn't practice smudging. We couldn't practice sun dance ceremony. We couldn't practice some of these ceremonies that were that were part of us. It's like telling somebody, I don't know, that you can't have Christmas, right? Like it's something like as big as that. You can't you can't celebrate that. It's illegal, and um, it was like extinguishing everything about your spirit, everything. Um, yeah. So the harm of that 
it just, it, it lingers and it continues into the family line. So then my mother and my father's generation, they didn't speak their language. There's a lot of shame around them. And of course, my generation, the language is almost extinguished. Nothing's passed on in that way. Um, we have to just like work so hard to reclaim those medicines that were illegal. While at the same time, as we talked about, we see white women using our medicine so freely and there's no shame attached to that because they just get to take it and use it. And we're like thinking, am I even allowed to, to burn some sage today? Like there's so much shame in my bones around that. Is it okay for me even to burn that? Um, it's, it's heavy, it's heavy. And um, the impacts of it, I think are going to continue for many, many generations to come. Just reading about that and finding out more of that history is just so horrifying to me and so shocking. It's like, you know, finding out and well, we've all known about slavery and what's happened over the past couple hundred years and how families were ripped apart, children ripped away from, from their families, from their parents. And there, there's a picture, I did some, a little Googling before about this just to find out more. And there was a picture that just so, it's, it haunts me to think about it of, it showed a young man where he was in full like ceremonial dress kind of a before and after, and then how they tried to Westernize him and cut his hair and put him in a suit and everything. And you could see in his eyes, even in this old picture from the, the 1700s, 1800s, what was missing, you know, his spirit was extinguished. And you could see that even just from this picture online. Um, and I can totally understand how this kind of trauma will continue on for generations. And it made me think of you know, my, our own, everyone has ancestral trauma, right? All of us in, in some way and trying to identify it and reverse it. And, and you go into that a, a little bit in the book or, or a lot actually in the book, it, it's a, a big part of it. How can we take steps to even look at our own ancestral history and, and try to identify that, identify traumas? I think just acknowledging again, that, um, you know, when we feel just like shame or intense emotions, sometimes it's not ours. Sometimes it's based in ancestral trauma. So even asking the question, how much of this is mine? How much of this is familial? How much of this is ancestral? That's something I do often in my healing circles because I think you can get a very clear sense of all of a sudden, if you ask yourself that question, something goes, oh, that weight that responsibility, that shame, whatever that is, some, that something doesn't feel so like it's all mine. Um, and identifying that we're carrying that. Um, sometimes you've chosen to carry that. So I think that's the first step. Um, and then a lot of the work I do, you know, in journeying in, um, I think a lot of visioning and healing can kind of unearth some of those pieces. But I think a lot, there's a lot of secrets. I like, there's a lot of family secrets, I think. Um, and that can be the hardest thing because if we don't know, we know there's something there, but we don't quite know the whole story. So that's why I think um, sharing family secrets is so vital and so important. Sharing that with our, we can't necessarily go back and ask those who have passed on to do that. But I think trusting ourselves, if we feel like something's off, something probably was, there's probably a secret held in our lineage, our generation. But that's where I think you can bring it to a healer and help you to move it out of your system. You don't necessarily need to, know, need to know the story. I think we all are so like, I need to know the story. What happened exactly? Our body knows, our spirit knows. So how can we move it out of our bodies and our spirits to find peace 
And then also when we do that, we move that healing into, we move it back and forward. If we have children, we move it to our descendants. And if we're doing the healing, we move it back generations into our family. And that's the most beautiful thing and profound thing I've seen in doing this work is magical things happen when you do your own healing work. Everyone around you has to change too. The dance changes with everyone. So that's why I'm a, that's why I'm a healer, I guess, and an advocate for healing, doing our own work because it can change so much. And in each of the chapters of the, the 13 moons, you know, you start with a, with a story and explanation, and then there's, you know, an exercise for us to do that, you know, that we can do our own healing. And so many things came up for me. And unfortunately, both my parents are deceased. And I so wish I could go back and, and ask my mother questions. And may, maybe I can in like a meditation or a dream state or something like that. I mean, I believe that that could, that could be possible. Um, one of the things that, that really struck me was you talk about the sacred pause, you know, we're so busy doing and striving and, you know, we're never in the present moment. And it made me think back to my mother, how she always seemed put upon and busy and overworked and tired. And, and maybe that's part of the ancestral, you know, piece that, that I carry with me because I, I feel that in myself that I'm always busy and doing and pushing and not being in the moment that I should be in. So it, it, it's, it's powerful to look back at those things, right. And really, you know, see what you could identify and really more so for my father. I wish I could talk to him because that was part of why I did the 23 and me in the first place, because I wanted to know more about his family because he never talked about it. So I know that there's a lot of pain there still needed to be unearthed and healed, but you've seen so much transformation in the people that you work with, right? So it is possible to, to overcome these things. Yeah, it really is. And I think the journey continues always. Like I still have, I don't know, lifetimes of healing to, to move through, I think. So the beautiful thing is, is once that portal opens, there's just like a newer understanding. And I think there's magic on the other end. It doesn't have to be all hard or all traumatic or um, there's joy and ease um, that come from this work. That's something that I always hold space for as well. And over the past two years, I mean, talking about the pause, the great pause, right? I mean, we've all kind of had to put our lives on hold and shift or the other word pivot. I like that. Oh, we have to pivot. <laughs> I've got to change. I've got to do something different. How, when you worked with people over the past two years, over this COVID situation, what have you seen? I'm just curious, like, I'm sure there've been some gifts out of this, right? As, as awful as it's been for people, there's probably been people that have said, this has given me a chance to rethink my life or, or to take stock. Have you seen that in your work? Well, it's interesting because during that time I had a membership, like an online membership. So I wasn't seeing people in person as much. I had this online space and what I noticed because I, I, um, communicate or teach through the medicine wheel. So you know, there's bear medicine season, which is the winter, but it felt like we were in this prolonged bear medicine season, like this two year winter season. So during the membership, I'd show up for the mentorship call and the healing circle, and it would be the same stuff coming up, which was interesting to me. Like, I don't feel motivated. What's wrong with me? Um, I know I have dreams, but I just don't think I can actually take the action to take them. So I saw that theme coming up a lot, like we were blaming ourselves somehow from thinking we had to be normal in this time of the great pause that was really traumatic. And I don't think 
I still think we haven't defrosted from that trauma. I think we've been a bit frozen. So I'd say that's what I saw the most, mostly because I held a healing membership and was holding space for folks to move through their challenges. Um, so to be honest, I didn't hear, and maybe that's gonna come now, of like the blessings from this time, because I think that people have been in a bit of trauma during this time. Oh, we have for sure. <laughs> and I like that you said the deep freeze, like we've we've felt frozen and maybe we're starting to come out of that a little bit now. And hopefully, you know, some, some positive, I think some positive things can, can come out of this experience. We'll have, we'll have to see. There was something else in the book that I wanted to ask you about that was so interesting to me. So I've always had a problem with the term, we all are one as well. And, and you write about this. Another term that I always hated was everything happens for a reason. And I, I don't, I don't like that one either. Um, and you, you address this in the book that this teaching, it's been kind of twisted and overused. And, and I just wanted to hear your perspective on that because it, it always did bother me and you, and you, what you wrote about really made sense. Yeah. So this isn't really from like being in social justice spaces and communicating and trying to share the truth, I guess, in those spaces. And then having that as a reaction, people we're all one skin color doesn't matter. Um, it's like this bypassing of lived experience and the, all that trauma I talked about. It's just like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've been through because we're all one and our spirits are all light and sparkly and blah, 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 you know? So it's it's the bypassing, I think, of that harm and that, that lived experience that it just, um, we have not started from the same place. We have not all started from an equitable place. That is not something that um, is the truth of, of humanity right now or has been in the past either. So to kind of say we're all one um, and love and light everything about what's going on right now really dismisses a lot of the trauma we're trying to heal from. So, and I see this a lot in our spiritual and wellness spaces. It's just the thing everybody likes to say. And I think it's because we're actually scared to face, to face the harm, to face the trauma, to even go there. Like if I just blanket everybody as the same, then, um, and we all have the same, I don't know, essence, then it's all, it'll be okay, right? I don't have to look. It's like these blinders come on. Um, it's something I've seen over and over again. So I think that is something we need to talk about and stop saying <laughs> in that way. Like, and it's, it's, it's not like I don't believe in oneness. Like, as I said, as an Indigenous person, I'm one with the animals and the rocks and the waters. And I do feel from a humanity standpoint, I can see the connection. Um, and I can also acknowledge that that person has not perhaps started in the same place as I have. So it's just about acknowledging somebody's experience. Well, I love that you wrote about this and brought it up because it's something that I've seen a lot as well. And it always, whenever I would hear that, it would always bother me because I, I would agree. Yes. We're all one as a human being race. We're all human beings, but we're certainly not all one. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's, a lot of uh, prejudice and injustice and, and all of that is still there. And you're right. We need to acknowledge it and, and talk about it before we can really heal. And hopefully we can get to that space at, at some point where we're closer to that, but things are definitely not equal and, and we're not all one. And, you know, you see people that would say, well, all lives matter. And that we're so angry about that whole movement when they were missing the whole point of what the black lives matter movement and people were were saying and it kind of ties in that no we're not all one <laughs> this has been going on for a long time so i 
that that, re- that really struck me when I when I read that. So to kind of help us heal, I mean, what are some of the ways that you can share with us that people can be more sensitive and, and stop appropriating? And they may have a love for a certain culture and may really that. Like you said, people that love the the jewelry or the dream catchers and things like that. But what would you say to give people pause to just think about things and not just try to take it? I think slow down, just like slow down. And, you know, if you're going to purchase these crafts, um, who are you buying them from? Ask them, did you make this? Who was the artist? Where are they from? If you're buying plant medicines, where are these harvested from? When you have the, the items in your hands, like slow down, do a prayer, ask the medicine how it wants to be used, um, ha- offer reciprocity. I think offer reciprocity to the communities you're taking from, uplift those communities the best way you can, especially if you're a person in power and privilege, um, give back. Like, I think that as an indigenous person, I'm always looking how I can give back. That's my first way of, of being in the world and reciprocity is so important. Um, but pausing and just taking a breath before that extracting, co-opting energy. We are built for extraction. It's That's the way society is. So can you reflect on that? Am I extracting here? Am I in the, how much more can I get versus like, how much can I give? Or um, am I looking at the whole truth here? So I think pausing and taking a breath and stepping back a little bit, as I said before, that lean back and listening it's, and I have like a t- nine tips, right? If you're going to be purchasing how to, how to appreciate not appropriate in the book. And I think that, that those are some things that you could do to just honor, um, honor marginalized communities or communities so you're not stealing and co-opting. And also please don't take those teachings and then make millions of dollars off of them because that is just, that's just so harmful. And if, well, and if you're going to do that, then give it all back to the communities themselves, you know, like there's just a lot of things I think that are happening and have happened the last few years that there's just not a lot of balance in. So we need to take a look at that. Absolutely. Things are definitely imbalanced and just, yeah, like you said, lean back, take a look at, at what you're doing, but, you know, by all means, if you see something made by a certain culture and you want to support that, then buy it, you know, whatever it is, soaps or textiles, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, you can support people in that way, but be aware, right. Of, of what you're doing and not appropriate. I think, I think that's important. Um, Something else that I think is important that you bring up in the book, you talk about honoring our elders and our teachers that have been important in our lives. And I just feel that we're so lacking, like our culture doesn't honor age, especially for women. You know, we no longer have value as we get older, um, we're discounted. Uh, what what are ways that we can honor our teachers and allies a little bit better? Goodness, it's like, it's so interesting because in our culture, elders are like, it's such a, it's such a revered place to be, right? Like that's where your wisdom is is shared from that eldership place. And it's just such a beautiful thing, I think. I think like asking our elders to tell us stories of their past, if you have that really beautiful privilege to sit with your elders, use that, use that, be with your elders, sit with them. Um, I think that's really important. It's hard for me to say because I think like I, I naturally do that. That's just like the lens that I see the world in. And I think that really big systems have to change for us to begin to honor that phase of life. But always like we've seen that, um, 
that eldership or that grandmother or that that's when you become that wise medicine person like how can we as women especially see our cyclical natures you know if we're moving from like um, a menstruating being to um, a menopausal being in our thinking and knowing that is the most powerful time that is not valued in most of our culture right it's like but that is the most valuable time where you are now retaining all of that vital force for yourself and you can share all of that wisdom with the next generations how can we just start to like communicate and speak about that with our friends um talk about these things and say oh my goodness like your wisdom's here now i'm celebrating this menopausal time for you like just changing the conversation i think is um is where we could start small i think it's starting to get a little bit better but we still have a long way to go you know, we should be talking about more exchanging wisdom instead of like exchanging uh, doctors' numbers for Botox and plastic surgery and stuff like that. You know, shift the conversation uh, a, a little bit. But I, I like how you brought that up in the book, and and also respect for other people and their opinions, just in general. Like we're in the big cancel culture, right? If you know someone says something you don't agree with, they're canceled. It's got to go. Um, I mean, I think we do need to look at that, but we can't just try to sweep it away, you know, and cancel people. And, and you talk about really letting go and releasing things from our lives with love. And I think that's how it should be approached, not canceled. And it's so timely that you wrote about that in the book. Yeah, cancel culture. Um, again, I think as I spoke earlier about that nuance and about leaving space for repair, there's no space left for repair if you cancel somebody. There's It just shuts down all conversation. And it's tricky. It's not fun. It, it feels awkward to talk to somebody about these issues. But um, I think canceling, immediately canceling, just doesn't leave any space for healing. And sometimes it's hard because I think, why do I see it in this way? But then my friends will be like, because you're a healer. So you want to like infuse healing into these conversations. And that's the way I do feel. I think, um, I don't know. I just see the bigger issues that in globally right now. And I think that um, that repair medicine is everything. So that's part of the cancel culture, I think, right now. How can we have conversations and say like, hey, I, I misunderstood you there. Or can you tell me more about that? Or can you just reiterate what you said so that we don't misunderstand each other and, and come heart to heart? And if you do butt up against somebody like that, and you know, it's impossible a lot of times to change someone's mind if they're really rooted in, okay, I'm right. And this is how it's going to be. But you're... I think your approach, like releasing that, that with love. Okay. I'm not going to change your mind, but you know, you, you go on your way. I mean, we need, we need to adopt that more so than trying to forcefully change people's minds. Right. It's been so awesome to talk with you. I mean, I, I really love the book. I think what you're doing is, is so important and needed in the world and saving these traditions and practices and healing practices are so important. We can't let this wisdom slip away and die. So what you're doing is amazing. How can people reach out to you? I mean, do you still have sessions and circles and what's the best way that they can find you? Yeah. Well, if you follow me on Instagram, that usually is where I share everything. It's asha.frost. And then on my website, ashafrost.com, um, there's going to be a new offering coming up soon after my book launch is coming out. You know, as I shared, I had that membership for two and a half, over two and a half years. Um, and then it kind of, I let go of that. So there's been a new birthing place of new things to come. Well, I'm excited that we can share this book with 
the Unity crowd and anybody else who happens to listen to this podcast floating out there in cyberspace. Asha, it's been so awesome to talk with you. The book is You Are the Medicine. Pick it up, Asha Frost. And what's your website? Can you share that with us? Yeah, well, for the book, if you want the free guide, it's youarethemedicinebook.com and that you get the 13 ceremony guide with that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.